0: Would you please take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Colossians. We'll be reading uh, chapters 1, verse 24 through 2-5 today. Colossians one twenty-four. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of His body, that, that is the church, of which I became a minister, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to us in his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he is powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge i say this in order that no one may delude may delude you with plausible arguments for though i am absent in body yet i am with you in the spirit rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in christ this is the word of the lord be to
1: God. you may be seated join me in a word of prayer one more time. Our great God, we do thank you for the gospel this morning. Uh, what just a feast that we've been having so far. And my prayer is that it continues as you meet with us in your word. Some of us, Lord, are not resting in Christ today. Some of us love ourselves far too much. And we're resting in our good works in our performance, and though we're here today, we're far from You. We may be here out of pretense or maybe some other reason, but God, my prayer is that You would call Your people to Yourself, that they may truly rest in Christ. He really is all that good and all that sufficient to save the sinner. There's nothing beyond Him. He's truly that glorious. That the nature of justifying faith is to receive Him and to rest in Him. Some of us here, Lord, know You, and we want more of You. And so gracious God, we pray that You might give us Christ today. He is the marrow of this book we call the Bible. He is the root of this family tree we call Calvary Redeeming Grace. And He's altogether lovely. He's altogether majestic and glorious and beautiful. And so we pray, God, that by Your Spirit and through Your Word, Christ and Christ alone would be our most prized possession in this hour and this day. For his sake, we pray. Amen. Well, congregation, I want to speak to you today about the heart of every minister. And you can take that to be those in vocational ministry. But I hope that you also take it um, with the sense of every minister, small m, that is every Christian. What we will look at today is what what it is, what it looks like to be a Christian, a minister who loves the church, one who gives himself or herself to this wonderful thing we call Christ's body. And as we continue our series in the book of Colossians, these folks, like us oftentimes, were perplexed about the Christian life. As we said last week, they are a bit confused about spiritual fullness. They began to think that the Christian life or spiritual fullness was something beyond Christ. Yes, I know Him. Yes, I'm I'm trusting in Him, but maybe there's some extra sauce. some, Some spiritual experience, some emotional high that I'm missing in this Christian life. And so, maybe it's some pagan mysticism or Jewish infiltration of something, but these folks were a bit confused about what it meant to be full in Christ like today, we, we seek the this, this special sauce. Maybe it's the, the gifts I need to have. Maybe it's that, that high that, that, that comes with camp or I don't know what may be, but what's that extra spiritual experience that I need to have to be a real Christian? And Paul pens Colossians and he says, you know, beloved, what you need, the secret sauce is Christ and Christ alone. And having your gaze fixed on Him. I wasn't aware how much Christology was in Colossians when I began, but I'm certainly glad that it's all there now. And so, again, I want to speak today about the heart of every minister or a heart of every Christian. And this component has three, or this topic has three components. Uh, Number one, A true minister will suffer for the church. Second, a true minister will proclaim Christ to the church. And third, a true minister will love the church. I hope these are self-evident through the text, and let's begin. The heart of every minister is a desire, a willingness to suffer for the church, verses 24 and 25. Paul writes, I now rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Paul was a very strange man. He actually rejoiced in his sufferings. For your sake and in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the Word of God fully known. You can see there right off the bat, hopefully, that uh, Paul has a willingness to suffer for the church. Verse 24, I rejoice in my sufferings uh, for whose sake? For your sake, Colossians, and for your sake, Calvary, redeeming grace. For the sake of verse, uh, verse 24 again, for the sake of his body, that is the church. So Paul rejoiced in his sufferings. He was willing to undergo the afflictions Um, That would be a part of his ministry about proclaiming Christ. And this suffering was not an end in itself. We all don't wish suffering in that way to be an end in itself. But Paul has an end to his suffering. Notice in verse 25, to make the word of God fully known. So Paul is what he is. And he does what he does and he says what he says because the end goal is to unfold, to reveal, to set forth the glory of God shown in the face of Jesus Christ. That is his aim, to make the Word of God fully known. He wants to unfold it. He wants to reveal it. All the riches that lie in Holy Scripture. That was Paul's aim. And that was why he suffered for the church. That was why he did what he did. And that was why Paul was what he was. And this is what Christ does in his people when you spend time with the Savior, when you have communion with Him in prayer and with His people and in His book, you begin to take on the traits the Savior has for the church. Because isn't it true, beloved, that Christ Himself suffered for the church? Isn't it true, beloved, that Christ came out of glory? And Acts chapter 20 tells us that He bought her. He purchased the church with His own blood. And so friends, when you begin to spend time with Christ in His Word, with His people, around the means of grace, He begins to shape you and color you in ways you never thought He would. And you begin to take on the traits of His own heart. And you then begin to suffer for the body Convenience is no longer something you prize. But you go to great lengths to suffer for the body. And what's so marvelous about this text is that that Paul doesn't even know these Christians. He He hasn't even been to Colossae. They don't know him and he doesn't know them. And Paul says, you know what? I still rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. It's because he he spent time with Christ that he takes on the traits of the Savior. Now this phrase here in verse 24, what does this mean? In my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. What does that mean? Well, you have two options. Option one, Paul is filling up what is lacking in the sufficiency of Christ's death to save sinners. I don't think that's a tenable option. I'm glad you don't either. So it's not that there's some insufficiency, some defect in Christ's death that Paul now as some co-mediator is filling up to supply what Christ lacked in the atonement. Option one is untenable. Option two. Paul, in my flesh, he says, look at it, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. And he's doing it in his flesh. I take that to mean with most commentators That he's filling up not the insufficiency of Christ's death to save sinners. Paul is filling up the lack of the extension of Christ's death to the church. So Christ dies, that death needs to be proclaimed and extended around the world. But at that time, it was just confined to that place. So Paul, as he proclaims Christ and goes around the known world and preaches the Gospel, he is and we are, until the let come into fullness, we are filling up what is lacking not in the sufficiency of Christ's death, but in the extension of it. Does that make sense? That's what Paul is filling up. And so again, this shows the aim by which Paul is willing to go to to bring about the conversion of God's people. You think of church history, this is why men and women went to the gallows with with smiles on their face. And this is why they were burned at the stake. uh, And they were singing. Why? Why? It's because they were filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction by their life and their death. Some, the elect, would come to faith and repentance in Christ. And so they were burned happily. And they were hung joyfully. And they suffered for the sake of the church because they began to see the glory of Christ in their sufferings. I think we need to ask the hard question of ourselves. Is suffering for the church something you are willing to embrace? Not as an end in itself, but as hardship, as difficulty, is putting your neck on the line for the church, something you're willing to be about and willing to do. That's the heart of every minister, capital M or lowercase. And so we see that Paul is willing to suffer for the church, but secondly, we also see that he's willing to proclaim Christ to the church. He wants to make the Word of God fully known. Verse 26, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. I think that's one of the most beautiful phrases in all of Scripture. That Christ is in you. The hope of glory. And he says in verse 28, Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. As Paul suffers for the church and is willing to take up his cross and to lose his life for the church, his main end is to make the world of God fully, the Word of God fully known. And at the center of that Word, at the marrow of that Word, he says the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. And this mystery, he goes on to describe in verse 27 to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. One of those long sentences of Paul. So Paul, as he seeks to proclaim Christ to the church, and as he seeks to suffer for the church, his main aim is to declare this wonderful mystery. And what is this mystery? That the Gentiles are fellow heirs and are, or is Israel reconstituted in Christ. Christ. What a glorious wonder. Because prior to this, God's saving revelation was mostly confined to Israel. Yes, you had a few instances in the Old Testament where the Gentiles heard it, but most of the time, God's saving revelation was confined to the prophet, priest, and king ministry inside God's people of Israel. But Paul says, now my aim as the apostle to the Gentiles... Now my goal is to unfold this mystery. It was hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. And we should think hidden, not in the sense of completely absent. But it was there, it was just obscure, hard to see. But now Paul says, Christ died, it's on. I'm declaring the gospel that the gentiles in Christ are coming to faith and this is the great wonder of the gospel that Christ has one flock and he is one shepherd. And so when you read text in the Old Testament like Habakkuk 2:14 for example. And it says the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will spread across the world or the earth from sea to sea as waters cover the sea. The Knowledge of the glory of God covering the earth. You mean to tell me that that verse way back, tucked in Habakkuk 2.14, is about really the knowledge of God going across the nations where the Gentiles are streaming into Christ? That verse is really about Christ and the Gentiles coming into Christ precisely you mean to tell me that Genesis 12:3 the promise to Abraham and his descent that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky that's not about Israel that that's about the offspring of Abraham being, Christ? And as the nations come to Christ, the Gentiles that is, they are the descendants of Abraham and we are now the bride of Christ, the church, the luminaries of the heavens? Precisely. Wait a minute. You mean to tell me Last one. Ezekiel 40 to 48 about some temple and water flowing out of the temple from ankle deep to knee deep to waist deep, and everything this fountain of living water touches across the globe becomes living. You mean to tell me that that's really about the fountain of living waters being Christ? And as he touches the nations, or the nations drink and come to him, Allah, John 7. Ezekiel 40 through 48, the temple is about the church being the temple and filling the world. That's really about. Christ and the Gentiles being co-heirs with Christ? Precisely. And this is what Paul wants to proclaim. That though this mystery was obscure and hidden in ages past, the Gentiles are co-heirs with Christ. Israel reconstituted. Christ in you. This is what Paul wants to proclaim. And so he says in verse 28, 28, Him we proclaim. What else would I say? What else would I preach? What else is more glorious than Christ in us? What else is more glorious than preaching Christ from Old Testament and New Testament? And this is Paul's desire. This is the heart of every minister. The heart of every Christian is to be about that Savior. That no matter where you are in Scripture, your eyes are on Christ. And so you, like Paul, are at pains to preach and proclaim Christ, Him we proclaim, he says. What else is there to say? Shall we go on and on about the nation of Israel? No. Paul says, oh no, I will give you the Savior in all of His majesty and in all of His beauty. You think about the benefits in the person of Christ. You think about the benefit of propitiation. As you seek to know Him and seek to proclaim Him, that the Son of God hung there on the cross as a propitiatory sacrifice, an atoning sacrifice on the cross, for your behalf. This is a wonderful benefit for the church. And he was soaking up. He was exhausting. He was satisfying the the just anger of God on our behalf. And this is what Paul was at pains to preach. This is why he went around and did what he did. To tell his elect, Christ's elect, this is what he did. What a marvelous benefit for Christ to be our atoning sacrifice. You think of all the benefits, adoption, justification, election. You could go on and on. But I think beyond the benefits is the person of Christ. William Perkins, early Puritan, he has a golden chain of redemption. And in the spine of this golden chain are not the benefits of Christ, forgiveness, justification, election. The spine of the chain is Christ Himself. And so we can speak about His person, we can speak about His deity, His humanity. You speak about His office of mediator, prophet, priest, and king. Christ is our horn and salvation, our banner and shield. Christ is our light and life, beloved. Christ is our foundation and fortress. He is our ladder and song, our truth and treasure. Christ is our fountain and freedom, our peace and hope. Christ, he says, is our all in all. And Paul says, you know, every minister, every Christian is about one thing. You must be about Christ. If he held up a spiritual x ray machine upon your heart, and Christ looked through it right to your heart, what would he see? What would he see, beloved? Would he see himself? Would he say, Oh, that's that minister, that Christian, oh, they're all about me. They're all about me. Richard Sibbs, another young Puritan, he said to a young Thomas Goodwin, he says, young man, if you would ever do good, you must preach the free grace of God in Christ Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? Some of you are aspiring to the ministry. I hope you hear those. Young man, if you would ever do any good to the church, you must preach the free grace of God in Christ Jesus. What captures your attention and affection? And one of the greatest devices of the devil is the subtlety of distraction. I feel it all the time. Just start being overly concerned about politics. Just start being overly concerned about wokeism. Start being overly concerned about Christian nationalism. Start be, you name it, fill in the blank, whatever it is for you. What captures your attention and affection? The devil says, you know what? I just want to get them distracted on these little things over here. And Paul says, oh no, the heart of every minister, at the center of that man and woman, is the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Proclaim him. Well, third, as Paul seeks to teach us about suffering for the church and the need to proclaim Christ to the church. He has one more lesson, and he says that you need to love the church. You need to love the church. Two, one, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. Now, sometimes I think what we think of the Apostle Paul as this aggressive, manly, church planting missionary pastor. And, and I think the sense here you get in verse 1 of chapter 2 is that Paul, first and foremost, beloved, he cares for the church personally. I want you to know. How great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. Again, he has never met these Christians. He doesn't know them. And he says, you know what? I want you to know that I love you and I love you personally. I struggle for you for all who have not seen me face to face. You know what sometimes happens in the Christian life and in church? We love those who are like us. And we talk to those who talk like us. And we invite those over to dinner who are a lot like us. And Paul says... That's not the heart of a Christian. I loved every single one of you, though I never saw you. If you are aspiring to the ministry, you will need to pastor the entire Those who are not like you, and if you are a Christian, a member within the flock, you need to love every one person. Second, he cares for their uh, he cares for them personally, but he also cares for their unity. Verse two: that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. That their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. He, he cares about their unity being knit together. There was nothing in Paul's theology about loving the church that you could do your own thing. I want you to be encouraged being knit together. When I was a young boy during Thanksgiving time, my grandma would call and she would ask us what color of slippers we wanted to be knitted for us, for our Christmas present. And I always said, green and blue. Green and blue. And at Christmas time, guess what showed up? Green and blue slippers. It wasn't that cold in Northern California, but I still wanted them. But I remember receiving them, and though they weren't the most attractive thing, it was the handiwork of my grandmother. And the, the, the knitting, I don't know how she did it, but the knitting of these strings or yarn. And I used to just look at them and say, wow, this is my grandmother's handiwork. And they're, they're so knit perfectly. And Paul says, you know, beloved, that's what the church is like. To be knit together in unity. Not doing your own thing. Not isolating yourself. But no encouraging each other. Bonding together as one body. And some of you are here today and you are tempted to isolate yourself. Oh, I don't fit in. I'm not this way. And I don't have that. Maybe I'll just come in and slip out. And Paul says, at the heart of every Christian is a desire not to be that. But to be knit together, authority demonstrates his love for the church as he cares for their maturity to reach all the full the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery which is, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and, and knowledge. so as you come to Know and understand, he says there in verse 2, the, the knowledge of God's mystery, which is, which is Christ. What you, what you begin to have as you begin to know Christ, what you begin to sense is a full assurance, he says. You have a sense of never being lost again. You have a sense of once you come to Christ by faith, He will never let you go. And, and Paul says, Oh, all the riches of full assurance, he says. There's so many riches, he says, in being assured when you come to know Christ by faith. And one of the riches of full assurance, beloved, is to know that he will never undo you to himself. That because the Father sees the Son as the beloved Son, and he sees you in the beloved Son, and he sees the Spirit as the bond of love grafting you to Him as the spirit of adoption and as His child. He says to you, you know you can have full assurance when you come to Christ by faith. Why? Because there's no unbreaking of the triune God. Once you're in the sun, you're always in the sun. All the riches, Paul says, to know. I'm going to glory. And lastly, he cares for their purity. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. He cares for their purity that no one may delude you with false teaching and false order. I want you to be firm, Paul says. I want you to be a spotless people. As you may not be corrupted, you may not be deluded is the sense here. Be watered down with false teaching or man-centered doctrine. But I want you to be filled. I want you to be pure. I want you to be spiritually full. And there's our phrase again. We've come back to in Colossians. I want you to be spiritually full in Christ. So Paul prays for us. Or he teaches us here that you need to love the church personally for their unity. For our maturity and purity. And I just have one Point of application as I close. Is this the heart that resides in you? Is there a willingness to suffer? Is there a desire to be about Christ? And do you love the church in all the ways this text declares? Our great God, we pray for the glory of Christ to be the pulse and the theme of our song at this church. Lots of things to be aware of. Lots of messages, lots of voices that come against our faith. Lord, keep us in Christ. Keep us, our eyes and our hearts directed to him.